The scripture for today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Vandana. You may be seated, friends. For those of you that don't know, Vandana is one of our lay leaders and is going to be again next year. So uh, thank you for your service, Vandana. <clears throat> My question for you, friends, this morning is, uh, have you ever fumbled the ball? Have you ever, you know, really, really botched a situation and walked away from there going, that, that was not my best work. Have you ever maybe had a rough day at work and you come home a little put off already and then you snap over something really small uh, at your spouse or one of your kids or something? Nobody? Okay, just me. Well, then this sermon today is just for me. May, since I'm speaking to me, maybe one day you have been in the fast lane behind someone going 45. And, uh, and that gets your blood pressure up, but you don't realize that your blood pressure is going up. And then, and then something happens like the person at the drive-thru uh, can't understand or doesn't get your order right, or maybe someone calls on the phone and, and you, you react to them in a way that you're really reacting to that person that was going 45 in the fast. No one? Okay, good. This is going to be an easier sermon than I thought today. Here's the problem with the present moment. The problem with the present moment is you only get one shot at it, right? And a moment might last a half a second. It might last a few days or weeks even. But when that moment is passed, the decisions and behaviors that you embodied in that moment, you don't get to do over. And sometimes you can make a mistake in a moment that could cause harm for a lifetime. Yes? You all know what I'm talking about. And so today we're talking about how to be present in the present. This, incidentally, is what I usually mean when I'm talking about us growing up to be people who love God with our whole heart, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, growing up to the point that those hurtful reactions that we sometimes are guilty of happen less and less and less and less in our lives. Because, as Jeremiah or Ezekiel said in the, in the prophets, God has taken our hard heart of stone and replaced it with a new heart of flesh. So, looking at our scripture today, 
I don't know about y'all, but every Christmas season, I, I really think a lot about Joseph, right? Because Joseph has this moment, doesn't he? And it's, let's just, let's just look at it at surface level. We, all of us, of course, know the end of the story, right? We know the background of the story. It's like we get, we get to read the narrator's notes during the story, but Joseph doesn't, right? All Joseph knows is he's pledged to be married to someone who ends up pregnant. Now, he is in a moment, to be sure. And it says that he was going to do the righteous thing. Incidentally, Joseph is one of the few people in the book of Matthew named righteous. He was going to do the righteous thing and dismiss her quietly, right? And, and thankfully, he, he got a visit, you know, from the angel that said, hey, hold up. Pump the brakes just a minute. And let's also back up just a minute and say, thankfully, he didn't do anything drastic before he had had time to think about it, to have a visit from God, to spend a moment reflecting on it. Last week, I told you a little bit about the story of the other Joseph in the Bible, probably more than two Josephs in the Bible now that I'm thinking about it. But the other famous one is in the book of Genesis. And he was one of 12 sons, you remember, and and his older brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. Long story short, he ended up number two in charge in Egypt, right behind Pharaoh. And I told you the story about how he said to his brothers something that I think everyone needs to hang on to and hold on to. It's what you intended for harm, God intended for good. And if we can reframe the moments in our lives in that way, I think it will help us move forward a little bit in in our um, maturity. But just back from that moment, if we work backwards in the story, is the moment when Joseph's brothers showed up. Can you imagine this moment? Maybe there's someone in your life that you hope to never run into again that's done something really, really hard. This was that moment for him. And his brothers showed up. And now, this moment didn't last a split second. I would argue that Joseph uh, and Mary's moment probably lasted a few days, maybe, maybe weeks. Joseph and his brothers, it seems like this story drug out maybe even months. And so he had some time to think about it. But both of them in the end, you would say, made the right decision, right? You would say they made the, the grace-filled decision in the moment. Of course, Joseph accepted his brothers, moved his whole family back to Egypt. So the problem with the present moment is you get one shot at it. And as I was thinking about personal stories about this, I thought I might tell you all the story of my most Christ-like moment. They are very few and far between, and so when one happens, I want to make sure that I share it. To give a little bit of background, um, beets are my kryptonite. I will eat anything. I have eaten uh, guinea pig in Ecuador. I have eaten chitlins in Bessemer. If someone puts something on, that's a true story. If someone puts something on my plate, I remember my parents over and over teaching me, you try whatever's put on your plate, right? You don't have to like it, but you have to try it. Yes? Anyone else taught that by their folks? Does anyone else remember vividly being four or five or six years old, crying at the dinner table, as your parents made you finish your beats? Yes? Okay, good. We got one or two hands in the audience. Thank you. 
of all, I mean, literally, we eat tons of different cuisines at my house. I love all, you know, demographics of flavors and things such as that, but beets are really, really difficult. One day, I was on a mission trip with a bunch of middle schoolers, and we were at, uh, up in the Appalachian Mountains in East Tennessee, and we were working on this sweet little old lady's house that c- couldn't have been more than six or 800 square feet, and, and the the floors were rotting, the siding was rotting, you know, everything's falling down in this, in this very modest little house, but she was so sweet. And behind her house was the shed where her daughter and son-in-law were living. And if the house was small and run down, the shed was much worse. And, and it had an extension cord and a hose pipe literally running to it. And that, that, was, that was their living situation. Um, all week, though, the son-in-law, and good for him for being a good son-in-law, was bragging on his mother-in-law's pickled beets. She made pickled beets. And he, every time he spoke about them, her face just lit up, and she was so proud. And the last day, unbeknownst to us as we're working, and it's summertime in Tennessee, so we're hot, sweaty. Toward the end of the day, we're exhausted. It's been a long week of hard work. Uh, out walks son-in-law with a mason jar of pickled beets. And it's only a little bit of an exaggeration to say that the beet that he forked out of that jar was as big as a tennis ball. It was the biggest thing that you could fit in a human skull, I think. And he, I'm telling y'all, this all happened in less than half a second. It was like he came out... I'm getting up from working, and I turn around, and as I turn around, this beat is in my mouth, right? Now, it's, I'm standing there just in shock and horror, and with this guy's hand in my face holding the fork, and mother-in-law just looking at me, and a half a dozen middle school kids and a couple adult volunteers looking at me with that question mark, what is he going to do? How is he going to react, right? Because everything in this moment hangs in the balance. And I want you all to know, this will not ever happen again in my lifetime. But I smiled, and I choked back gag reflexes, and I was thankful for the sweat on my face because it hid the tears coming down my eyes as beet juice ran down my neck into my shirt, and I swallowed it and said, how good it was. And uh, that was the peak for me. That was, I'll never, I'll never surpass that moment of Christ-likeness in my life. I hope that you all have a moment similar to that, but it brings to mind a psychological phenomenon that every youth pastor knows about, and that is that if you're going to have behavioral problems with kids on a trip, it's going to happen on a beach trip, not on a mission trip. This is a real thing. If you have behavioral problems, and I have, with kids on a trip, it's going to happen on a trip when they think they are there to be served instead of a trip when they are going to serve. Does that make sense? And the point in saying that is to say what we are thinking about, the mindset that we have when we do something, affects our behavior in the moment. So last week I told y'all that how you think about the past affects the trajectory of your future. 
This week what I want to say is, what you think about in the present affects, affects your behavior in the present. So what you're focusing on, what you're thinking about, where your attention lies will change, literally transform your behavior in this present moment. So the question then for us becomes, how do we, as Paul said, transform our minds by the renewing of God's Spirit? How does that happen? So last week I told you that this is going to be a sermon series about thinking about what we think about. And today it's about thinking about what we are thinking about in the present moment. It's about where our focus lies, where our attention lies. And I want to give you two hacks to help you put yourself in a more servant-oriented, loving, grace-filled response mechanism uh, rather than being reactive and hurtful and all of the things that happen because we get stressed throughout daily life. The first is this. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. And this is not easy, it's hard, but I, I think when you look at Joseph and Mary, it doesn't say it, but the angel gave to Moses a little bit bigger perspective than he had before. He, he gave him what's actually happening, but also I would say opened a door into recognizing what Mary was going through. Because it's easy to talk about what Joseph was going through. Let's talk for just a minute about Mary was going through, right? Think of the shame involved in this. Think of the, the rumors, right? And the side eyes, right? Think about, think about what she was going through and how if she had been divorced quietly, how much more shame that would have brought on her and how much more difficulty it would have brought on her to raise a child alone in first century Palestine. You can say the same about Scrooge. If you guys have gone and watched one of the Christmas Carol movies this season, if you haven't, let me encourage you to do that. Or if you've read the book, by the way, the book is much fuller. I know everyone says that. What a, what a nerd thing to say. Everyone says that. The point is, though, in the ghost of Christmas present, Scrooge got to see Cratchit's life in a little more detail, right? He went from seeing him as just an employee, perhaps an employee that didn't live up to his standards, to seeing him as a father, as a husband, as someone doing his best to care for a few children, one of them who was crippled. When we step back for just a minute and see people from their perspective, think of how our understanding and our language around them changes. I don't want to step on toes here too much, but if we did that, maybe we would use phrases like illegal aliens a little less and refugees a little bit more, right? Or phrases like um, welfare queens a little less and single moms a little more. And you can fill that in. Those are just a couple that come to mind. But when we start to see the world through other people's plights, certainly it changes the way we behave and think about people right now. The next one I want to bring to mind, so the first one is put yourself in other people's shoes. The next one is you have to be still. You have to spend time. You have to reflect. In order for you to even put yourself in someone else's shoes, you have to sit down long enough without the radio on, without your phone in your hand, without the TV on, whatever, 
and reflect. The Christian mystics would call this contemplation or silent prayer or reflection or whatever. Just sit still and be with God and be with your thoughts. And if anyone has ever tried to do that before, you know how difficult it is. Within 10 seconds, your mind is going to be racing. And so there's lots of little hacks and tricks that you can kind of pull yourself to a center. And we'll talk more about contemplation meditation later on. Actually, we're going to talk about it during Lent. But the point is to be still and know, right? So I want to introduce you to a couple of Greek words. I say introduce, maybe you already know these. I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I did have one semester of Greek in seminary. So I feel competent enough at least to use uh, lectionaries and concordances and things such as that. So, so here's a word that I want you to become familiar with. The Greek is on top, and, and it's pronounced noeo. Uh, underneath is the Americanized, Latinized pronunciation, which is noia. It means mind. It means what we think about. It's understanding. It's those kinds of things. It's when Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is the word that he used. You guys know it in English from words like paranoia. Para means outside or beside. So paranoia means literally beside your mind, right? Outside your mind. So, so this is a word that's all throughout the New Testament. It's, it's a word that when Jesus says you, have, um, you see but you don't understand, that's this word. There's another word, though, that Jesus uses to open a lot of his sermons. Jesus has two favorite sermon topics. One of them is the kingdom of God. And the other one is whenever they would be walking down the road and he would stop everybody, right? I can, I can imagine him stopping and he would say, hey, take a look at that flower. And the word is katanoia. Kata means direct your attention or towards or focus, right? And so katanoia means stop, take a look at that, think about that, reflect on that, study that. I think Jesus would be a David Attenborough fan. He would love watching some PBS and some science documentaries because how many times in Scripture is Jesus walking down the road and he would say, stop, y'all look at that fig tree. Have you ever thought about fig trees? He would say, consider the ravens, right? They don't, you know, spin or anything like that. Consider the lilies. They're the ones that don't spin. Ravens are the ones that don't plant. You know what I'm getting at. It's in Luke chapter 2. Go read it. When he says consider, that word is katanoia. It means to pause. It means to reflect. It means to slow down. It means to focus your attention on things that are godly. Focus your attention on things that are helpful. Don't dwell on whatever is, you know, the, the person going 45 in the fast lane. Don't dwell on that. Instead, take that as an opportunity to realize, hey, we're going a little bit slower. Why don't I notice the beautiful trees down the road? Or something. You get what I'm saying? It's that. And Jesus did this all the time. That brings me to last, year, last week's homework. Anyone do it? Anyone do your homework? Okay, good. If you have your homework with you, then I want to give you your next assignment. If you don't have your homework or if you weren't here last week, the homework was to draw a timeline. Is my timeline there? Yeah, and it's really hard to read. Uh, draw a timeline from the day you were born until however old you are today, and I'm going to go this way, the day you were born to however old you are today, and plot on that timeline the most transformative moments, people, places in your life. 
higher or lower on the scale based on how important, how positive, or how negative they impacted you. And now I want you, in this week's homework, to spend time with that, to go sit for 15 minutes quietly and reflect on some of those data points. And ask yourself questions like, why was this person so important? So I, I made a new one this week. If you go back one, Jay, you'll notice that some people said that Alabaster FUMC is higher than Leanne. And uh, I want to I clarify that those two are on the same line before we move on. But I made an easier one for us to see. I want you to spend time this week reflecting. And the question is, why is that data point where it is in my life? Why do I give that one so much importance negatively or positively? And then I want you to realize this. These are just data points. They are things that happened that no one can change. The thing that you can change is the meaning that they create in your life. So imagine them like a slider on a soundboard. You can slide them up or down. And does the graph, oh, look at that. You can slide things up or down. So for example, Jill was my almost first kiss. That could have really wrecked a, a middle schooler, right? And instead, I chose to, to like learn from it, grow from it, and all of those things. One day, I'll tell you about why 2020 slid up also. Every, 2020 was a rough year for everyone, right? It was a super positive year for me, and I'll tell you one day about that. But when you sit down and you reflect when you focus, when you catanoia on the moments of your life, when you study your own life, then you realize that as the author of the story of your life, you don't get to change the data points. What happened, happened. But you do get to change the meaning that you draw from them. And you can draw meaning from them in ways that are helpful, that help you grow in love, or you can take meaning from those in ways that make you bitter, and angry and hurtful. And I gotta be real careful when I say these kinds of things because that doesn't take away the pain of any of these moments. And I feel like last week I might not have emphasized that enough. I don't, I don't mean to say that if you lost someone, it's not hurtful. When I told the story of Tim last week and I said how redemptive it was that moment that he and Noel were hugging in the hallway, I didn't mean at all to suggest that he would rather not just have his wife and daughter back. These moments affect us in our lives, but we get to narrate the story of the meaning that they create in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you. Because you have given us a whole book of stories that people have read and reflected on and contemplated on for thousands of years to help people see them, them, their lives as part of a bigger story of your kingdom, of your work of redemption and salvation in this world. And so God, I, I ask that you help us to see our own lives in that way so that in this present moment, we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves that we can love you with our whole heart, strength, and mind, and that we would be people whose hearts have been transformed, that you would take out these cold, hard hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.